1: I could stay here forever.
0: Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production.
1: From the offices of Create and Cultivate, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party, a podcast for women who are redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. This season, we're bringing in leading female powerhouses to take a deep dive into the topics that matter most to you. Technology, money, marketing, entrepreneurship, you name it, we're covering it all. Tune in every Wednesday for career, real talk, and BS free advice from the best in the biz. Ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Taking risks is scary, but if you ever want to be a successful entrepreneur, you have to get comfortable with it. Entrepreneurship is fundamentally linked to risk-taking. Most people tend to avoid risks when possible, and that makes sense because inaction is often safer than action. But many would go as far to say, if you aren't prepared to take risks, you have no business being an entrepreneur. Of course, there should be some level of research and data to inform the risk first, but oftentimes there's nothing quite like diving in headfirst and figuring it out along the way. It's through that process of trial and error with a little squeeze of pressure where you develop new ideas and push the business into a new groundbreaking territory that simply couldn't have happened if you played it safe. Trust me, I know. So for this episode of Work Party, we're talking about the concept of high risk, high reward, with someone who looked fear in the face and turned it into a cult following. Since 2011, Kim Malik has become known as an industry leader, innovator, and disruptor for her game-changing business, Salt and Straw Ice Cream. Yeah, I think you've heard of it. From a humble ice cream cart in Portland, Oregon, Kim had grown the company from the ground up with the 20 scoop shops across the country, and not to mention long lines on the street outside every single store. It's no wonder she was featured on Inc. Magazine's 100 female founder list of entrepreneurs. We talked to Kim about taking risks and why it's integral to her success and her best-selling flavors and how you can incorporate risk into your business strategy too. So let's get right into it. So today we're going to talk about risk. But to do that, we have to start at the beginning where most of the risks begin. Um, Before the idea for Salt and Straw, you were working in various roles from the director of Frappuccino at Starbucks Coffee to Yahoo and Adidas. So clearly a corporate track. Can you talk to us through your career before Salt and
0: Straw and how you prepared for the role you have now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You've done some research about me (laughs) you know, I, I ended up having a career with few different corporations, but I started straight out of college working for Starbucks when there were only 30 stores. So it was a bit more entrepreneurial, obviously, not a bit more, a lot more entrepreneurial at that point. And, um, and I loved that. I loved the spirit of building something. And, you know, obviously when I was there, we grew into multiple cities and countries and, you know, it ended up being, I think there were 3000 stores when I left. And I had moved to, you know, some other cities um, for love, <laughs> and um, which is a theme in my life. And so I, I just, I ended up, you know, looking for opportunities that would um, be along the same lines in terms of introducing people to new concepts. So like when I was at Yahoo, I actually worked on launching and introducing auctions. you know it was back in the day when eBay was new and, and we were getting auctions going and similarly with Adidas, um, I was working on um, product lines where we were bringing those um, to new customers and new ideas. Um, so that's been sort of a, a theme throughout my career bringing something new even in a, you know a larger corporate um, environment, still having sort of that entrepreneurial flair um which i think has been um really helpful in terms of how i think about you know approaching you know what i'm what i'm bringing forth and why people might be interested in it
1: yeah, absolutely. And when it came to salt and straw, you wrote a business plan in 1996 and kind of started ruminating on that idea. But then you ended up tabling it till 2009 when you moved back to Portland. So can you talk to us a little bit about creating that first, you know, business plan and then deciding not to move forward, and then what prompted you to revisit that and open up shop?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So back in 1996, I actually um, was living in Portland for a little while, Portland, Oregon, and I was really struck by the feeling of community that I experienced here. It was something I had never found anywhere else. And I always say people in Portland will take you in and rise bring rise you up. Um, and, you know, there aren't a lot of big corporations here. We only have really one Fortune 500 company, which is Nike. And so it's very, you know, artisan driven. And, you know, people are kind of creating their own thing around here a lot. And um, after experiencing that sense of community, for some reason, I could see really, really clearly that an ice cream shop would be a good way to reflect that and i always thought it would be a good place to run into your neighbors and spend time with friends and family and you know ice cream is just it's all good it's a pleasurable experience and brings happiness and joy and and so i thought it would epitomize this feeling of community and that was the inspiration for working on this business plan and i had an idea for how creative it could be but that didn't really come to life until my cousin entered the scene all these years later so you know, I am the truth is, as I was working on the plan and looking at real estate, and I was really haunted by something that had happened when I was in college, which is my dad owned his own small business, and he went bankrupt. And um, so the idea of running your own business and getting this thing started, just it, it, it brought a lot of fear up in me just based on what I had experienced earlier in life. And so, you know, I, I just took a pause and went back to my really great job that I had <laughs> in corporate America and just kind of let that ruminate for a while on the back burner. And, and it was always there and something I thought about, but I just sort of let it be for a bit, for quite a bit <laughs> until 2009 when I moved back to Portland.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I totally get that. My parents are both entrepreneurs and own their own business, and I, I, I am an entrepreneur and own my own business, but I, I saw some of the hardships they went through, and can imagine how it would affect, you know, where you were at and what you wanted to do moving forward, and I love Portland so much. I lived in Portland for four months, like, over a summer, and, and had the best time, so I totally get what you're saying um, oh. about the whole vibe. It's, it's awesome. So, why ice cream? I mean, you talked a little bit about, you know, the ice cream shopping the social center, but did you know anything about food and like, you know, flavors and like that whole side of the business?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, you mentioned that I worked on Frappuccino when I was at Starbucks. And, you know, when I was there, we were introducing, you know, different and new foods and um and flavored drinks for the first time. I worked on the tea business for a while. And so I always just had so much fun trying to figure out, you know, what flavors and, and new things people would find, you know, interesting and compelling and um, spark to. Uh, and I had a feeling that ice cream could have that same level of creativity and just capture people's attention and imagination. And um, so, you know, the, there was that part of it, but in all honesty, it was really more about this vision of these stores and just Seeing, you know, knowing my customers and my team and just really clearly seeing um, people, you know, spending many good times there. That, That was the inspiration for me.
1: Yeah, and the stores are really beautiful and the whole brand is really gorgeous.
0: Hey, everyone. Let's take a
1: pause from today's episode to talk about LinkedIn Learning. Our professional lives are looking a lot different these days, and LinkedIn Learning wants to provide you with the skills to keep things moving and propel your career forward. They offer over 16,000 courses taught by industry experts. You can learn how to perfect your work from home habits, build a strong entrepreneurial foundation, be a resilient leader, and so much more. Here's a sneak peek of one of the LinkedIn Learning classes that resonated with me. It's called Creative Collaboration take a listen.
0: Here's the problem. When we feel like we're supposed to be the super creative person who effortlessly generates great ideas, then we won't go out and ask for help when we're stumped and we'll be hesitant to share ideas with others for fear that our ideas will be stolen. Here's the thing working in teams and generating and executing upon ideas together is one of the skills that we need the most right now. So keep
1: learning new skills so you're ready for any moment that comes your way and try one month free at linkedinlearning.com/ workparty That's one month free at linkedinlearning.com/ work party bye! Can you tell me a little bit about how you came up with the name and like the concept and and also the introduction of your cousin coming into the mix and why that partnership is really what escalated and kind of, you know, um, helped the business take off?
0: Yeah. Well, the name, I actually came up with it with my um, sister-in-law and she's very creative. Um, We knew we were going to be making ice cream in small batches. And so the name Salt and Straw is a nod to the way that they would make ice cream at the turn of the century when it was first introduced in the United States. And anybody who's made ice cream, you know, with their family or grandparents um, and you churn it by hand knows that if you put rock salt in the ice, it'll churn faster and better. And so that's where the salt part of the name comes from. And then um, back in the day, they would pack ice cream on straw or hay in the barn to keep it cold so salt and straw comes from you know that really really small batch um artisan ice cream when it you know when it first got started and a customer said they took a tour of Monticello and they tell the story of packing it on hay um so you can fact check me on that (laughs) and then um Yeah. And then we, you know, as we were um, as I was working on this idea and my partner, Mike, was was my partner in crime, just kind of helping me on the side my life partner and Mike, <laughs> my cousin Tyler uh, decided he was going to go to culinary school and he was living up north of Seattle. And I called him and just said, Oh, if you want to go to culinary school in Portland, you can live in my basement and <laughs> I'll help you. And he said, Oh, what are you up to? And he found out that I was working on this idea and he would not let it rest until um, I agreed to have him come and help me. I mean, he started testing ideas on an ice cream maker he went and bought at the Goodwill and he had a lot of interesting um, ideas that were <laughs> that were really exciting. And I just kept going back to him and saying, this is all great, Tyler, but I have two problems. Number one is you don't know how to make ice cream. You're not trained. Um, you know, he had gone to business school and was studying in China before." All of this came to a head. And then um, I said, the second problem is I don't want to start a small business and bring my family into it. You know, what if this all goes south and now, you know, I have you here too and bring you down with me. And he just, he finally said, you know what, Kim, I'll come and I'll just drive. I'll run errands. I just want to help. And upon arrival, he was making ice cream in our kitchen and um, it just became apparent very quickly that he has quite a natural talent.
1: I love it. That's so funny. And that's so true about family, you know, it's, and even friends, you know, it's always scary to kind of jump into the venture together, but it sounds like you guys were both eyes wide open on this one. Um, so did you work full-time while you developed Salt and Straw on the side, or did you save money and quit your job? And how did you guys finance the opening of the first store?
0: Yeah. You know, the first store opened in 2011, which is um, a good thing for me to remember nowadays as we head into another financial downturn because, you know, 2011 was not a good time to be starting a business. And I had written um, my business plan, finished it up, dusted it off, got it all ready. And I started uh, marching it around to different banks in town, thinking I would get a loan. And um, in hindsight, it's kind of funny because First of all, it was an economic downturn. It was a great recession. And then secondly, you know, <laughs> I'm I'm proposing an ice cream shop in Portland, you know, with all confidence. And in looking back, I'm sure they thought I was just totally crazy, but they gave me a lot of good feedback and I got my numbers in order and I had a really good business plan out coming out of all those meetings, but I didn't get any money. And I remember one day I was sitting at my home office and I looked down at my files and I saw this file that said 401k. And I pulled it out and I said I do have money. I spent all this time, you know, working for different corporations and I started putting money in my 401k when I was like 19 years old. So I had a good chunk of money there, and so I did what everyone tells you not to do, and I cashed it in, <laughs> um, sold my house, had a garage sale, maxed out my credit cards, and um, cobbled together enough money to start that that first store on Alberta Street. And we actually started as a food cart while the store was under um, construction, which was a great experience. And then, you know, opened later that summer in August.
1: I love that. And so now you have about 20 plus locations. Can you talk a little bit about scaling the businesses and some of the challenges you faced growing super fast and obviously scaling across to different cities and markets?
0: Yeah, it's funny because, um, you know, I know all of these entrepreneurs now who run food businesses and have gotten to know different people. And well, on one hand, you know, we opened in 2011 and here we are with um, 21 stores. We just opened our 21st store um, a couple of months ago. And um, on one hand, it, it does seem fast and like a big whirlwind. But on the other hand, compared to what other people have done, it also hasn't seemed fast. And you know, every city that we open in, um, we have a menu that's unique to that city. So we start over with, you know, recipe development and collaborations with cheese makers and coffee roasters and farmers and chefs and bakers and And so it sort of slowed our growth in a way. I mean, we could have just made more ice cream in Portland, the same flavors we were selling in Portland and sent them to L.A., or San Francisco, and people probably would have really liked them. But, you know, we felt like what was at the um, kind of genesis or soul of our company was this idea that we could use ice cream to reflect the local community. And it was building on that idea of community that really inspired me to start the company in the first place. And so for us, scaling has been pretty non-traditional from that perspective. And, um, you know, we opened in Los Angeles and we had a kitchen in downtown LA. And People just seemed to take our company on as their own in that local, you know, in those local communities. And it meant the world to us, you know, and people we were collaborating with started to collaborate with each other, like donut makers and chocolate makers. And, you know, we kept hearing folks in Los Angeles. That was our first market we opened outside of Portland. You know, people there really thought that the company had started there. And so it was, it was just a, a little bit different way to go about it. But it, I think it's made a big difference in terms of, you know, our reception and our relationship with our local communities.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and I remember when the store opened here in L.A. and it was crazy. There was like lines around the block. Um, so that, that I definitely is showing that the, you come in and you don't just show up in a community. You really kind of enhance it and create really amazing partners along the way so how big is your team now and how did you go about growing the team um, as you expanded into all these different new markets and things like that
0: up until the coronavirus hit our team was um, almost 700 strong (laughs) but you know we're right now we're a much smaller group so that's kind of an interesting journey that we've been on (laughs) but we hope to be back to uh, almost 700 people again sometime soon and, you know, growing the team was really, it was probably the hardest part to building this company in a way, because when you're scaling a business, you need to have certain resources in place in order to do it the right way and, and you know, I guess be safe, you know, from a like, resource perspective and, and have all the right um, pieces in, in order. But at the same time, you can't afford it all, you know? And so having to pick, like, what big um, position is going to be next? How do I add on the right people at the right time, Um, you know, with HR, with manufacturing, with marketing? And our brand and our company was attracting, you know, it was, we were doing really, we have been doing really well. We are doing really well. And so people wanted to come and work for us. And I always had this philosophy, like, you shouldn't turn down a good person. But it's such a um, tricky line to walk just to make sure that you're not overextended along the way. And not only in terms of, you know, affording and being able to afford these people, but also just that the company can actually focus on all the things that they can bring to you. You know, you got to be ready to catch that ball and actually do something with it. So scaling the team has been a big, big learning over the past 10 years.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I couldn't agree more, and I I totally hear you when good talent comes your way. It's like you want to be able to snatch them up, but you also have to long-term kind of weigh, you know, the cost analysis of bringing on really high level expensive talent, um, and also keeping talent happy while you're there. So totally makes sense. And I'm sure you'll be back to 700 strong in no time.
0: (laughs) People are gonna definitely
1: need their ice cream and getting out of the house, so that is for sure. Hey, Work Party listeners, I want to take a quick break from today's episodes to let you in on one of my best kept nutrition secrets, Saqqara. Now that I'm working from home full time and I'm desperate to avoid the grocery stores, I've turned to Saqqara to help keep me healthy and energized with fresh and super tasty meals delivered straight to my door. Saqqara's signature nutrition program brings the power of plant nutrition right to my home in the form of fresh, plant-rich, ready-to-eat meals. Made with organic ingredients and powerful superfoods, each meal is expertly designed to boost immunity, improve energy, support gut health and digestion, and get skin glowing. From salads and granolas to savory flatbreads and fruit parfaits, their rotating menu of creative chef-crafted meals make clean eating simple and delicious. My personal fave is the warming miso noodle soup. It's warm, delicious, filling, it's incredible. Sakaro also accommodates multiple dietary restrictions. All of their meals are 100% plant-based, gluten-free, dairy-free, and non-GMO. It's everything you've been looking for. In addition to their delicious meals, Sakaro also offers daily essentials like supplements and herbal teas to complete your wellness routine and support your overall health and vitality. To boost immunity, try their best-selling daily probiotic blend or detox water drops made with pure chlorophyll. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their order when they go to Saqqara.com slash party. Enter code party at checkout. That's Saqqara, S A K A R A dot com slash party. And that's 20% off your order at Saqqara.com slash party. Looking back, you know, what, were there any things that you wish you would have done early on or any advice you wish you would have taken looking back at the journey now?
0: Yeah, you know, um, I, I love that question about advice. And one thing that I always tell entrepreneurs is that um, my best advice is to not take advice. <laughs> um, and by that, I mean, you know, I think the biggest missteps I've had are um, when I know in my heart the right thing to do, but, you know, but I'm afraid to follow it. And, you know, so really bringing on the right folks who can enhance that and and check you and give you the right information along the way to guide your decisions. But you know, they get the vision for what you're doing. I think um, if I could go back in time, though probably one of the top things I would do and 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 one thing that I talk to folks with as they're starting their businesses is I would invest in a really, really high level financial person earlier in the company's history because you know, you feel like you're driving through a snowstorm and you can't see where you're going if you don't have a really clear picture of the financials. And if you don't have a really good partner who can interpret those from a strategic perspective and be at your side with you, it's the best, you know, now that I have that person, it's, I feel like I run a different company. It's the best thing you can have um, as a partner in crime uh, as you're going about this. So I, I think that's probably one thing that I would go back and do differently. And then I think, you know, the the other thing is, you know, and this is all, you know, relating to financials right now, but I was really careful about bringing on investors and took my time and got to know people over a number of years before I brought them on. And, you know, now when we hit these hard times, it's so clear that that was really important because uh, we're values aligned and we're making decisions, you know, that are best for um, our people long term, anyway, and our um, company for sure. So, you, you know, being in the trenches with folks that you can really trust when crisis hits, because it will always hit, could not be more important.
1: Absolutely. And so, when did you decide to take on investment? Like, how many years in, in, into the company? Um, and what advice do you have for entrepreneurs who are maybe starting those meetings and trying to figure out what to look for in an investment partner?
0: Yeah. Um, I didn't know anything about this world when I started. And in fact, a friend introduced me to the first, uh, firm that we ended up working with and, you know, the, the fellow who started the firm showed up in Portland and we spent the day together. And I, you know, I just didn't even really know much about what he did or what this would mean, but it was kind of nice in the way. Cause we just got to know each other on a really natural basis. And, um, And what I loved about him is that his eyes literally just sparkle with excitement for what we were doing and and just the industry as a whole, the hospitality industry. And I can remember when it came time and we would meet from time to time over probably a two-year period and just talk about how the business was doing and what I was struggling with and he would give me ideas and I would leave those meetings feeling really energized. And when it came time, you know, I had gotten bank loans and, you know, continued to overextend my personal finances for about four years. And um, as we decided that we were going to, you know, grow a little bit more in California, it became clearly apparent that we needed some help because I couldn't sleep at night anymore. (laughs) It was too stressful to have it all on me. And so I had these conversations going over the prior years. Um, I also met with, you know, just more sort of traditional, like people always say high vol- high value in individuals, which I think is a weird thing to say, but, you know, and they probably would have taken less equity and been less formal. And as an entrepreneur, you know, there's always that battle internally, like, should I give up equity or should I bootstrap it? And, I remember every time I would leave meetings with those folks and they weren't from our industry and they were so nice, but I felt really drained. Like it took all my energy to explain what we're doing and why and, and really different from those other conversations that were really energizing. And then my third option was to continue to work with banks and um, ay, <laughs> you know, especially as you start to take on more risk, you know, you generally don't have a partner in the bank um, at that phase of your business growth that's going to be really flexible like you need them to be because like I said things will go wrong you know buildouts start to become more expensive you don't hit a sales mark one year you know, your costs come in higher than you thought all these things um, are, are going to happen over the years and so to have the right partner there with you to help you figure it out and and give you some um, runway to get back on your feet is really important. And so I just decided at the end of the day to go with this firm that I'd been getting to know for, you know, a couple of years. And that's how I made the decision. And it's, it's been a, a great one now, whatever, six, six years later, five years later, we still have a really good relationship through the good times and hard, hard times.
1: Yeah. I mean, the way you sort of feel in a room, I mean, gut feelings are guardian angels truly. And I think that's, that's really important. So let's dive even deeper into risks and talk about the unique flavor combinations that you guys do. Uh, <laughs> sweet potato casserole and maple pecans, bone marrow and bourbon smoked cherries, roasted strawberry with twisted white chocolate. The flavors are anything but run of the mill um, and they're delicious. But to your point, you know, in Probably was a risk to lock with some of these. Why do you think, you know, they've been so integral to your success and were you worried at first about people not liking them?
0: Yeah, I was worried. I can remember the bone marrow and smoked cherry was one of the flavors that Tyler came up with when he was originally, you know, concepting um, recipes back in the day when he was, you know, really wanting to join me and get this going. And I remember thinking, oh gosh, I don't know if that's pushing the envelope too far. And so what we found as he and I you know kind of did a Vulcan mind lock and and went forth on this adventure is that you know, we never wanted to do flavors just to be weird or to cause, you know, to cause people to raise their eyebrows. We, we wanted to use ice cream, like I said, as a platform to tell stories. And so in each city, um, as I mentioned, the ice creams reflect the local community. So you'll see, you know, like cherries and bone marrow cherries, they're a big crop here in Oregon, and we got to know cherry farmers. And that's how that flavor really took Forth. you know our sea salt with Carmel Mark Bitterman, who owns the meadow here in Portland gave us a whole salt lesson and um, we picked his fleur de sal which is a Guatemalan um, sea salt because it perfectly accentuates the cream. So in each city we've met different people and it leads us down this path of creativity and results in these interesting flavors but it's really born out of these relationships. And then on top of that, every month we change our flavors and, um, we use that as a chance to, to again, tell stories. So like in July, we typically do a whole berries menu cause berries, July, it's seasonal, you know, it's, we, it's almost obligatory, but then in other months we'll do things like we'll partner with the local fourth grade class nearest each of our stores to come up with flavors and teach them about the hospitality industry and the creative process and food science. One month we did a whole menu using um, ingredients that were going to be thrown away just to help educate people about the idea of food waste in our community so that, you know, we could start to figure out how we're wasting 40% of our food, but people around us in our community are going hungry and we actually have enough if we repurpose it. So there's just, we, we think um, throughout the year, each month um, can tell a different story and play a different role. And that's how the flavors sort of take hold in different ways that are unexpected. So incredible. And you know, how long is it from like
1: ideation to fruition when it comes to creating a new flavor?
0: It's a, um, Well, we're working about a year out typically. So we're, um, And we do that for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, any kind of seasonal um, products are available now and we'll work on developing them now and and launch them next year. And then secondly, we're we're working with a lot of really small suppliers. And so if they're going to join forces with us, even though we're not huge, (laughs) we're big enough that um, it can be hard for them. And so we want to plan it out and make sure that we you know, have access to the right amount of ingredients and don't stress their supply system out too much either. So there's a few different reasons we do that. And then, you know, from just ideation to the time a flavor is done, again, Tyler does all of that work, but it's pretty rapid fire. I mean, I think it's probably about two or maybe even three months total in, in concepting the recipes.
1: Wow. And, you know, you touched on it a little bit earlier in the conversation, but you know, COVID-19 has impacted all of us, but especially, you know, businesses that have brick and mortars. Can you talk to us a little bit about store closures and what pivots you've made to ensure, you know, the business can continue thriving throughout
0: um, quarantine? Yeah. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) It's a hard, still a really hard topic to talk about. Just when I think I have no more tears, they just swell up in my eyes when we start to talk about this. I mean, I think the thing that, was, the hardest was, you know, laying off all of my team members, or most of them, 95%. You know, other than my three kids, they're the most important people in my life. And um, they've worked so hard to create this business and make it what it is. So it was a really, really unimaginable position to be in. And just, it, it felt like it was... Counter to every in every intuition I had and everything that I've worked so hard to build, so we've grown this company. We've been really successful. We've been really careful to make sure nothing like this would ever happen. Um, and to be faced with those decisions was awful. We closed all of our stores for a little more than a month, and during that time, we revamped um, our kitchens so that we could make ice cream in a way that involved the proper social distancing. And, um, you know, just pivoting to just serving pints for a little while. So just making pints, um, and making them in a, you know, really safe way, and then starting to slowly open stores and test and see how we could set up a system where our employees and our team members don't have to come into contact directly with customers. So once we figured that out, we opened the bulk of our stores about a week ago and, um, Customers don't come in, obviously, but we, um, you know, you can pre order pints. We launched a whole new pre order uh, platform in a little less than two weeks, which was incredible to research it and bring it online and train everyone on this new system. And now we're going to slowly be adding scoops and Um, cones and you know just other ways to pay. I'm just taking it really slow and making sure that we have everyone's buy-in and everyone feels really safe both from a customer perspective and an employee perspective. So yeah it's it's reimagining everything. I mean I know for sure that when this is all over people want a really pleasurable experience and you know the joy that ice cream brings is important and i think these simple pleasures will be even more important so we want to invest in the right systems and business model and you know reimagine how we do things in a way that's sustainable
1: yeah i mean honestly it's incredible to hear about all the things that you've done in such a short amount of time i mean that's that uh, deserves a crazy round of applause and totally hear you on the employee side of things. I think everyone, like you said, you prepare for the worst, but I don't think anyone was prepared for this, the total shutdown of of the economy and and obviously social distancing and not being able to interact. So I think, you know, everyone's doing the best they can. So I totally, I totally understand how stressful and, you know, sad it is to see the things that you've worked for completely out of your control shift in like a matter of weeks. Good to see you on pivoting and, you know, kind of putting everything into play to kind of come out of this on the other side side. So what's the next big goal for the business? And, and what exciting
0: flavors are you guys coming up with while in quarantine? <laughs> um, well, uh, so it was interesting because our company was just on the um, edge of, of getting ready to open stores in Miami. Um, this summer. So now we're retrenching and um, trying to figure out how we do that in the middle of, you know, this entire COVID blow up. And we're, we're still committed to doing that. So we're, you know, we're working really hard to figure out how we fund it and, and how we work with our team and our landlords and everybody to, um, to continue to grow. Because you know, I I think if we're able to do that, it'll be important for our company and important for our economy and important for our local communities. Um, and and so we're we're really trying to make that happen. And um, you know, some people think I'm crazy in the face of <laughs> what what will be another big economic downturn. And who knows how we're going to be able to operate? But I think we have some ways to um, surround that business with other. Um, channels that we're working to bring online so that, you know, when we show up in Miami, you know, we have multiple different ways that we can go about, um, about you know generating revenue and making sure that the company is successful. So you know we're we want to take this opportunity to continue to grow, and um, we'll see what form that takes over the coming months. But from a flavor perspective, <laughs> we have not launched any new sort of seasonal flavors, but. We have something up our sleeve that we're hoping to launch in the next month if we can get our production kind of stabilized and keep up with the demand. So um, you'll have to watch on social media and see it. will When you see that, then you'll know, okay, they've got this. They got it under control. And now they're starting to, you know, really focus on more fun things along those lines. Oh, that's so
1: exciting. I love that. Well, I'm from Florida, so um, I can say Miami will be a great market for you. Um, for one, it's always blazing hot, but yeah, it, it's, that's such a great, great market. So excited for that. And I'll tell all my friends and fam to go, to go get some scoops when uh, you guys open back up. Um, of course. Okay. So we're going to wrap with some rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Hit me with it. Okay. The moment I felt I made it was...
0: Ah, I remember pulling away from our Northwest 23rd store, which is our, our second store in Portland. And there was a huge crowd outside waiting for ice cream. And I, um, drove across the river about 12 minutes away to our Alberta store. And there was an equally large crowd there waiting for their ice cream. And it actually took my breath away. <laughs> I felt so honored that, you know, people were there showing up and, and, and wanting to spend that evening with us and uh, I'll never forget that moment
1: oh that's an incredible moment I love that the the three qualities that got me to where I am today are Mm.
0: I am tenacious and I'm kind and I'm curious when times are tough I mm. well times are tough right now and I am working around the clock uh, <laughs> so yep. I I double down and get it done. Um, I I stay really really positive and and look for the facts I know and act on those and keep moving forward one step at a time.
1: I love it. Yeah, same. I think this is the toughest of times. Um, and what's your favorite flavor? I'm just asking because I'm curious.
0: Oh well, um, strawberry honey balsamic is my favorite. It's made with Oregon strawberries, which are pretty special. If you cut them open, they're different from any other strawberries because they're bright, bright red all the way through. And, you know, Oregon, we don't have a, a long, hot summer. We have a very, it's a very short spurt. <laughs> and so our strawberries have to work really hard to survive and it makes some um, taste just really, really, really good. Yum. I love it. That is, that sounds delicious right now.
1: Honestly, Both- Thank you so much for your time. That was incredible. Your story is
0: amazing. Oh, thank you. I loved this. I I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much.
1: Have you bought your copy of Work Party The Book? Part career manifesto, part practical business advice. Work Party The Book is everything I wish I knew during my early years as an entrepreneur. The ups, the downs, the things I learned and the women that helped me to make it happen. Just like in our podcast, Work Party the book does not shy away from the nitty gritty details you need to know. If you hope to start your own business or become the HBIC at your current gig, we're here to help you out. Available in hardcover and audiobook on Amazon, also on iBooks at Target and your local bookstore. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Work Party, the podcast. If you felt inspired and learned something new, let us know in a review on iTunes and check us out on social at Work Party. For every episode, we have downloadable resources available on WorkParty.com, so you can put these tips and tools into action for your own business. Thanks again for listening, and as always, work hard, party on.